God said, Jason, I need you to take a hard right. And I went, um, I said, I'll negotiate. I'll go do these things full on and did. I mean, God just kind of patiently waited and go, yeah, you're going to go the direction that I've asked you to go. There's so many excuses to make. But in the end, I don't think that most of them are obstacles that should keep you from this. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Jennifer Thomas, TBHC's marketing director. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of foster care and adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Pastor Jason Collins of Crossroads Church Rowlett. I've had the privilege of observing his family's foster care journey from a distance and have heard his passion to minister to the fatherless. Jason and his wife, Crystal, with their three biological kids started fostering and now have had three sibling groups in their home. They've experienced the hard times and the huge blessings from being a foster family. When I asked Jason why be a part of bringing kids home, Jason's response was, God changes lives through foster care. And while not everyone is called to do it, many just need to be encouraged or challenged. Jason, thanks for sharing your time with me today. Yeah, man, I'm glad to. Well, as we uh, get into this, I know there's a lot of things to being a pastor and you're busy. We always talk about the fatherless and I've heard your passion. It, it's always meant a lot to me to hear uh, just what you want to do for women who are going through that process of expecting a child and thoughts of what to do with their lives, but always choosing, choosing life. So it always means a lot to me when I get to visit with you. I'm excited to have you on today and, and really get to hear your Bring Kids Home story. Yeah, it's been really cool um, just as a church and as, as an individual, you know, I, I will say why God was pressing this, um, this whole kind of journey on me, even as I became a pastor, it was my wife that first had this burden and this passion. And I just kept going. I mean, I'm a pastor of a growing church. Um, and I had the same excuse that just about anybody else does love kids. I don't have time. I don't know how we would do this. I don't have time. I don't, and for several years, I just kept using those excuses. And then, um, and they're not, it, they're not, it's not that those excuses aren't legitimate. It's just that in more cases than we realize we can, we can get over them. Um, and so finally the desire to, to do it hit my wife and I, we were actually, I was actually teaching a series called brave at our church. Um, and I, um, I had challenged our church with these big banners up in front to ask people to come and write down their brave heading or their journey. Uh, Crystal and I, my wife, we had not talked about it, um, but we were now two or three years into having talked about the idea of fostering. And so we both went up and wrote on two completely different banners at the end of one of the services. And afterwards, when I got home, she said, what'd you write down? And I said, well, what'd you write down? She said, well, I want you to say first. And I, said, I want you to say first. And then finally, um, I told her, I was like, you know, I wrote down that it's finally time for us to foster. And she said, I wrote the same thing. And we, that was the first week of the series. The series was six weeks long. By the time we got to the end of the series, we were in our third class um, for preparing to foster. So it, it moved real quick once we were both committed to it. And um, 
and it, it took, you know, it took time. It took a, a lot of effort, a lot of classes, a lot of learning. It was really good learning. A lot of it sometimes can be repetitious, but repetition is a good thing too. Um, and then we were just anxious to finally get to kids. We had no idea what that was going to be like. And uh, when we first went on the open home uh, list, uh, it felt like it took forever to finally get that call. And then we did. And our first two kiddos, um, we had them for two months. And if they'd asked us within 48 hours, would you adopt them? We'd be like, yes, absolutely. Like, um, and they had their challenges. I mean, it wasn't like that was perfect and easy. The youngest, um, I mean, he would call my wife names that we don't use in our house. Um, and he would try to choke her. We found out that he had experienced and, and witnessed domestic violence. And so he was reproducing what he saw. Um, but what was amazing was how quickly he shifted away from it. Um, and an environment doesn't determine everything, but it doesn't hurt. And so um, that environment changed. His behavior changed. His older brother was sweet. They had some medical issues and we had to walk through those. And um, that two months was amazing. And so those were our first two kiddos was right on the, on the outset of the journey um, dealing with that. When, and when you go from like for my wife, she goes from, I have a burden to foster children. Fast forward to once choking you and calling you a word that you shouldn't say. It can be really easy to be like, this is not what I expected when I was called, but that's not how my wife took it. We knew kids don't go into the foster system for no reason. Um, and those families can learn and grow and be changed. Uh, and that's what we pray for all the time. We want to see reunified families. Um, and so it's, it was really cool to, to get to step in and be part of that journey. Always hard to say goodbye. Absolutely. Always. But um, we get to stay in touch, which is cool. We, we are still in touch with all three of our sibling sets. So it's been really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You have three biological kids. So when you made this decision, you know, it's not just mom and dad making a decision for a family. It's, it's impacting your kids. Talk a little bit about that. What was that decision-making process and even their buy-in? What kind of talk about that for us? Yeah, I think even less than us, they didn't, I mean, they didn't go to all the classes we did, so they didn't fully understand everything they were getting into, but we tried to, to talk them through it on a regular basis. And before we finally committed, we sat down with all the kids and we had a lengthy talk um, we had just moved into a house where we had a bedroom for, you know, made a master bedroom and then one bedroom for each child. And we have an, a son and two daughters and fostering meant that my two daughters who uh, at the time were 11 and 14, um, they're now 13 and 16. It meant that these two preteen teenage girls kind of share room. Um, and we were shocked that they were all for it. Like they love the idea of at the time they love the idea of fostering. Now they actually love fostering. They've been super active with all of the kids. Um, again, not always easy. We've had some moments in our home that were not predicted um, that we didn't see coming that were really hard, but um, we've seen our kids be incredibly missional. One of the things we talk about at church, even, is when we're as parents for our biological kids as well as our foster kids i think there's a chance that we are running the risk as adults of raising up a generation that has heard about the power of god but never experienced it for themselves 
And so it was important to Crystal and I that our three biological kids are a part of this journey, that they had to buy in. If we'd had one person say, I'm not interested, we probably wouldn't have gone down this road, but we wanted all of them to be about the mission of doing it. Um, and, and even now, you know, we're, we're about to be, we, we've taken a brief hiatus during COVID-19 uh, because the, the, our last sibling set left right as stay at home orders went into place. We're about to go back open. And as we go back open, um, we asked our kids, our girls, 13 and 16, are you okay with sharing a room still? And they're like, if it means getting more kids, we're good. So having the foster kids is more important to them than the comfort, which I'm not sure I make that choice at 13 and 16. So super, super proud of them for seeing the mission in it. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. That's incredible. You alluded to some struggles. Do you mind just kind of a, elaborating a little bit on maybe some of the struggles that your kids directly were a part of with that? Just kind of helping some of our families interested in foster care. What could my biological kids face if we chose to do this journey? Yeah, so we've always had younger kids in our house. Um, I mean, all of them have been six or under. Um, and And yet, because they've seen things, they sometimes want to reproduce or they have a habit of reproducing or not knowing how to process emotions. Um, And so uh, we had uh, like one placement in particular, my son, um, I mean, he's 19. Um, He's gone through all the the training certification for him, all the FBI stuff, like so he can watch them for a little while. And so uh, my wife and I left to go. I was performing a wedding. Um, and it was a little bit early on, uh, about a month into the placement, we thought a couple hours will be fine. Well, it just so happened that this couple hours did not go fine. Um, and we had a child that was trying to hit and kick a dog, um, trying to hit my son repeatedly for some reason. And so they're calling us during this whole wedding. I'm trying to wrap up the wedding and my wife's going, something's going on at home. And, and so we, um, we got on the phone and we said, you know, Hey, what's happening? And um, she was just kind of in a place, our, our foster daughter was in a place where she had just kind of lost control emotionally. And I didn't want, um, I, I wanted to just give her space to calm down. So I told my kids, I said, um, you guys just leave her alone, let her yell, let her do what she's doing, get the dogs away from her. Um, Cause she was being, you know, she was kicking them. And uh, we were two, three minutes away. So we got home and, um, she responded to me always the best during those moments, not hundred percent sure why, but I had got her to sit down on the couch and she was still screaming and yelling. And I didn't, I didn't engage with that. I just told her, I was like, Hey, you can keep yelling. I'm going to turn the TV on whenever you're good. Whenever you want to talk, you let me know, but I'm here. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Meanwhile, meanwhile, my wife took um, uh, her, the other foster uh, child and, um, and my biological kids and they just, they went out to go just kind of exit the house for a bit. And I just let her sit there. And then eventually she realized, I mean, this went on for a long time. Um, but eventually when I didn't kind of cave into yelling and screaming with her, she just stopped, like I literally just stopped cold. And then she went, I'm thirsty. And I went, well, okay. Can you try that again? And we have a we have a rule in our house um, that we go through with all the kiddos. You're, we're always happy for you to ask for something, and we will we would be glad to to do that. But we're not gonna we're gonna always treat people with respect. We're all a team, and so 
the word try again is one of our rules. So if we say try again, that means the way you just said something isn't okay. I'm not gonna get mad at you for it. I'm gonna give you one more chance to think about how you said it. And so she said, will you please get me a drink? And I went and got her a drink and she sat and had a drink uh, of water and we just talked. Um, and she still had moments where she got upset when she realized everybody else was, was out doing something. And I said, well, you've made a decision that has consequences. And we talked through what that was. And it's hard to do with the young child. But um, the more we did that, the more she calmed down. She, we found out later um, she had uh, a learning disability that wasn't um, super obvious. But when you spent time with her, you started to recognize it. They started testing her for things. And more started to make sense. And we started to, we started to learn how to relate to her. And she learned more and more how to relate to us. And that's, that's one of, of many of the challenges that you kind of face. But that was a pretty intense moment. Um, I'm not sharing all the details of it just because, well, you know, it, it's like anybody else's home. Like there's, you know, things can, things can get a little bit crazy. And she just kind of went off the rails for a minute. But the, one of the things we, they covered in training over and over again was how to de-escalate how to de-escalate, how to de-escalate. And so, um, boy, that, that will, if you've ever wanted to learn how to use patience in your spiritual life, be a foster parent. Like that is the greatest way to learn because God will give you infinite opportunities to learn patience. And so I, I had to learn patience and, um, and she and I just, I mean, we have the great, we have the best relationship. Like she, um, we just bonded and then slowly we had we had her and her sister for eight months and that was at the very beginning and all of our workers therapy um teachers everybody they're like she is a different child um and she would pray she prayed for us and she would she's she's with a family member now and they message us and they're like we can't get her to do this how do you do this now and, and we'll go here's what we did and then it works and it's amazing and so they FaceTime us so we get to talk to her um, and her sister and just spend time together. And it's been, it's been great. So that's, that's an example of, you know, some of the, the hard times. Yeah. Thank you. I know that the context is everything, obviously. Fostering kids myself, one of the, the biggest hurdles I faced within relating to kids, you, you spoke beautifully to, and it was de-escalating. And it's a skill that it's unnatural to do it naturally. So I love what you described there. Let me ask um, about balance. Dad's role in the home, some might say, you know, you're a pastor, so you got more time to spend with them. We all know that that's kind of humorous to think about. How is balancing foster parenting with your life, your work, how does that accomplish for you? Because so many ask me, hey, we're ready to do this, but we just don't know how it's going to fit in. Uh, wow. So that's an interesting question for me. Um, I don't want to like, well, what I'm going to say is, is my view and perspective. Um, and I'll just say this. I'm not sure that balance is always achievable in general. Um, I think, um, that we, we strive for this thing called balance and yet our, our life is consistently out of balance because life doesn't work according to the rules we want to work. And so the, the reality is, for me is not so much how do, how do I achieve a balance, 
but how do I um, how do I have these things work in harmony and and in peace according to God's will? Um, and that means it, it's just like regular life, right? Like some seasons of work, you work infinitely more hours than other seasons. Um, some seasons of marriage need more attention than others. Some seasons of parenting need more attention um, in certain ways than other times. It's just it differs. And like foster parenting, for example, I would tell somebody, if somebody asked me, how do you achieve balance in the first 30 days? I would go, you don't. Like your first 30 days of taking on a placement is just, it's filled with appointments and needs that have to be met and trying to understand this child, trying to help them understand their environment. You're probably going to spend more time in that first 30 days running from here to there, trying to figure things out than you will at any other point. And you're trying to figure out how to integrate them into your life. Um, and they're trying to figure out how to integrate you into theirs. Um, and how do you honor um, differences and maybe cultural differences, uniquenesses of their family and understand even foods they like. I mean, all those things. And what's hard in the first 30 days at six months isn't even on your radar. Like, by that time, you know the child. The child knows you. There's a sense of safety in your home. Like, and so um, that might feel more like balance, um, and that's, that's great. Um, but I think if, if, if we sometimes think that, that going into something hard means that it's all perfectly balanced. I mean, sin and grace on the cross were not, I mean, you, you had a balance of them, but the full weight of sin fell on Jesus and the full weight of grace fell on us. Like it wasn't balanced all the time. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul's life would not be described as one that was balanced. Like, how do you balance prison time with free? I mean, like, it, so I think sometimes we, and there's some great books about this kind of topic. Um, and so I think more than anything, the way we tend to view it is, is just in terms of keeping all the priorities in front of us and which one needs the most attention right now. It's that, you know, there's an acronym when, you know, W-I-N, what's important now. And to go through your life going right now, the most important thing is this. And I can prioritize that. And that's okay. And it, it may not be a forever thing, but it is for now. And so that to me is, is a bigger thing. And, and our kids have gotten that. Like they now, after I mean, we're not super seasoned foster parents, it's been about two years of our life. But, um, but they know what the first 30 days looks like. They know what the first 90 days looks like, and they now understand what six months, seven months looks like, and so do we. And, and so you know there's a big season up front, um, and there's some hills and valleys you're going to go through. Um, and so I think, I think some of it is just trusting God when things aren't balanced, trusting God when, it's, when it feels like a mess and know that something beautiful comes from this mess. I mean, we say that, like we sing songs about it, like, you know, this God takes our brokenness and makes something beautiful. And that doesn't sound like balance to me. That sounds like a wreck um, that God did something great with. And I think a lot of times it, it does that. And I'm not trying to theologically get off in the weeds, but I, I, think, um, I, I think that's a good word and it's a good thing to strive for. I'm not sure that it's always possible. And so you have to ask different questions because if, if I was going to keep my life always in balance, I would have never done foster care. If I wanted balance, I wouldn't pastor. Uh, if I wanted balance when I was in my early 20s, I wouldn't have my own children. 
um, like the moment you have your own biological children, you're giving parts of your life away and things become different. So I think it's learning to, to move through those moments and to celebrate them and to enjoy them and to know that God's doing something. in them. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my perspective. That's great. It sounds like the priorities must be in the right place and self-sacrifice must be what you live. Absolutely. And, and I think, I think the biggest red flags that we've kind of noticed to, to watch for is not so much about schedules as it is about um, emotion. So like, for example, um, I mean, we all have emotions. We're emotional beings. God made us that way. And so there are times when I can go through rough times and I don't, I don't uh, get negative or pessimistic. And there are other times when I can go through maybe not even as hard a time, but you begin to be worn out and tired and you become pessimistic or negative. Um, and, and some of that, I think we all have a tendency for hopelessness to try to creep in on life. And so I think what, it, what it's, what's really important to watch for are, are those things is when, when and, and to see them in each other, like to look at my wife and to go, her patience has begun to wear thinner than I know it is. Um, she's getting frustrated more easily for her to look at me and go, I think he's, he's getting worn out. He's, he's getting tired. And I can tell that by what Jason is doing. I think those are the moments if you're going to foster, if you have kids, a spouse there alongside you, that to me is, is the big thing to look for. And in my mind, more so than balance is, are we healthy emotionally, spiritually, um, and physically and to know how to read that because we we're not always good gauges of ourselves, but other people can generally see those things in us before we are willing to admit it um, and you know when I'm when I'm in a place of just kind of feeling I don't know whatever word you want to use anxious tired depressed whatever generally speaking I'm the last one to acknowledge it like everybody else knows already it's no revelation if I look to my family and go guys I'm I'm really kind of filled with anxiety right now, or I'm stressed right now. None of them are going, what? We, what? We couldn't tell. They're like, yeah, dad, we've known that for about three days now. Thanks for telling us. Um, and so I think that's a big one that my wife and I have learned is how do you help your spouse? How do you help your kids? How do you watch and know? And even for the foster kids, like they get taxed also. And to be able to go, they need a break right now. They need something different right now. Um, I think that helps a lot. I'm Jamie Hogan, Executive Program Administrator at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption Services. Did you know there's over 7,000 children waiting for adoption today? Did you also know that Texas has 30,000 children entering foster care every year? At TBHC, our hope is to provide the highest quality of care for kids who are coming from really hard places. We work to make sure that children in our care have a safe and loving home and that their dreams have no limits. What if you could be a part of making those dreams possible? I'd like to invite you to join the thousands of people who help TBHC meet the needs of children by going online to tbhc.org and clicking the donate button. Our ministry depends on supporters like you to help bring kids home. On our website, you can also find out more information about our agency, inspiring stories, and ways to pray for TBHC kids. To find out how you can make an impact on children in foster care, Check us out at tbhc.org. How do you help your spouse? How do you help your kids? How do you watch and know? And even for the foster kids, like they get taxed also. 
and to be able to go, they need a break right now. They need something different right now. Um, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, that's really great. Well, being a pastor, public eye in front of people, I don't know about you, but our kids needed their privacy. They needed for their stories not to be on this public forum. Do you mind kind of addressing how you handle that? Is that something that you practice? Tell someone how you would do this if you were in a public situation. Um, I, I think, so speaking to the, the church first, um, well, I'll speak to the family first. And that is that I think it's good to have conversations of what do we want to share and what do we not want to share? Um, and we, we just kind of have some general rules. I mean, like even with our teenage kids, um, that we're no, I mean, they can, they know they can't post pictures of the, of our kiddos, of our foster kids. They know they, you know, they can't share information about them. Um, they know that like, that's, that's the thing. And so in a, as a family, um, we had, we literally did have to have some family meetings where we would kind of talk about like, what can we share? What can we not share? Um, and who can we share with and who should we not share it with? Um, and so those were good conversations. And then at our church, um, I mean, we have, we have a fairly large church. And so we have, um, we have a, a value for foster and adoptive ministries. Um, and also we live in a world where even with divorce and things like that, um, it can be, um, challenging sometimes to know who am I supposed to give kids to do with, with children in a ministry setting. So we have all those rules in place when it comes to photos and drop off and pick up and all those kind of things. And we talk pretty openly with our church family and especially with our leaders and our, and our teachers, because we, we're not the only foster parents in our church. We have several and we have adoptive parents in our church and um, we have stepmoms and stepdads in our church. And so we talk about that stuff pretty openly of like what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and, and how important, you know, the, the privacy part of that is. Um, our church does something really cool where they, you know, and a lot of churches that do some things similar, um, like my family is adopted by one of our small groups. Um, and so um, those are people that will reach out to us for needs. You know, what do we need or how can we help you and how can we pray for you? And they know and, and we know that we can trust the confidence of sharing that. But um, I, I, think, I think we all need community to share with. And so for my wife and I, we've just been selective about who that is. Um, and there's a handful of people that we trust completely that we can sit and go, here's what we're struggling with today. And they'll listen um, and they'll pray for us and pray with us. And if they have any advice, they'll, they'll give it. And that part has been really helpful. That's great. I know that's going to encourage somebody. How about your family's interaction with CPS, CASA, or the interactions? I know even with Texas Baptist Home for Children, our agency, what, what's kind of been your experience as a foster parent and and even in the church environment, working with agencies or the state? So there's multiple ways I'd have to answer that question. And the first one is when I've run into all of these folks, I mean, I love like y'all staff is fantastic. And, and I've seen that be consistent amongst agencies. Like I think most people that are in like your role, they love foster kids and it's a parent, right? Um, I think the majority are, we've been fortunate in CPS that um, we feel like most of the people we've run into in CPS really are looking to the best interest of these kids. Um, and so we've been very blessed that with very few exceptions, we've encountered people that if you just want to look at their heart and motivation, we feel like they, their motivation is a good motivation. 
their, their heart is for these children and families. That being said, um, that doesn't alleviate some of the strain of what you go through in those relationships. Like sometimes CPS is just limited by what they can do, what they can say, or how they can help. Sometimes your agency is limited by what they can do, what they can say, or how they can help. Um, and, and sometimes uh, even the legal system that you're putting trust in doesn't make the decision that you wish they would have made. Um, and that's out of your control. And that doesn't indicate that people are evil or against you or against kids, but it also doesn't make going through that comfortable or easy. You, you kind of go, well, it should have gone this way, or I wish they wouldn't have done this, or, you know, why isn't CPS getting back to me faster? And, um, and, and there's just like everything else in life, you realize, hey, they also have other things that they're doing, or they're meeting with families, and, um, and agencies um, uh, have been wonderful, but there's, there's just limits. There's limits on every step. There's limits to what we can do as a foster parent. There's limits to what the agency can do. There's limits to CPS. And so that sometimes can be frustrating. And so for us, we've had to separate, try to separate the frustration of, of some of the things that are just realities in the system from being frustrated with the people in the system, if that makes any sense. Um, because most of the people that are in the system also wish certain things were different. Like they wish they could do more. Um, and, and so I think it's been really good when we've had and again, we feel very fortunate with the people that we've encountered when we've had some of those rough moments. Um, um, I mean, CASA has been wonderful, uh, super encouraging for us from agency standpoint. I mean, shoot, you and I have sat um, at, at multiple like conferences and things that you and I've been at, and, and we've just shared our own stories. Um, and both as a foster father and as a friend and as a guy who is deeply entrenched in this love of what you do, um, that's been great. Um, and we can, we even can share some of the things that can be difficult in there. Um, and so, um, so I, I think that there are frustrations there, but some of those frustrations are, and this is my personal opinion, the foster care system is never going to be flawless. And it is not because people don't love kids and it's not because people don't want to do the right thing. It's because, and this is, this is my view. It's because God never intended kids to be orphaned that in God's perfect world pre Genesis three, there was never going to be a need for foster children. And so foster children are a result of the broken world and, and the sin of the world that we live in. And so by that very definition, we are always going to be working towards God's redemptive goal when it comes to things with families and foster kids. And so it's never going to be perfect. There is, the salvation and the hope for foster children isn't a perfect foster system. It's Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, we're talking a lot about faith and its impact here. When you look back on life, do you think that there's a event or a moment that really prepared you to say yes to the Lord when he called you to foster? There's, there's a few. I don't remember growing up running into a lot of kids that I knew that were foster or adopted. It really began to happen in me at my previous church in Cincinnati, Ohio. We had a group that we were in a small group with, and one of the families um, decided to foster children. Um, and it felt like two weeks later, it was probably much longer, but another family decided to foster. 
and then another decided to foster. And we were just surrounded by foster children and foster parents. And, and if you're a foster parent that has ever been around other foster parents, you inevitably go into the conversation of foster parenting. Like it just kind of, it's what you do. It's what you're passionate about. It'd be no different than a bunch of people getting together that love football. At some point that topic's coming up. Um, and so fostering comes up. Um, and so they were talking about it all the time. And that was what um, burdened my, my wife for it. And, and then to be honest with you, I began just kind of preaching on following God and taking these steps of faith. And there was a moment when we moved to Texas um, where I asked the question to the church and I, and I had to ask myself the same question was what was the last step that you took that actually required faith in your spiritual journey? And I've taken some giant leaps of faith to trusting God. But in that moment, I had to really go, it's been a while. It's been a while since I did something that if God doesn't show up, I'm going to be in trouble. And, um, and those, that kind of series of events is, is what led us to, we literally planned the Brave series out of that, and the Brave series led us to this. Wow, that's great. If there was something that you wished everyone knew about fostering kids, what would that be? Wow. I guess one of them would be as hard as it can be. It's so much like our Christian faith in that, you know, the, Paul says the struggle um, of, of this time cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He said, I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's acknowledging that this life is hard. But by comparison to what you get to see God do in his glory, it's not even close. And I would say for me, that same experience has been there with foster care, that, that the blessing, the joy of getting to watch what happens in their lives so outweighs the daily struggle that I would do it again and again and again and again. Like, it's just so, I, I don't even know how to describe it. And if people haven't fostered, I don't know what to compare it to because it's just an unbelievable thing. It, it's, it's even different. I mean, than my biological kids, like there's a certain, I mean, you have experiences for them from birth all the way up. And then you get these kids just plopped in front of you coming out of something that is usually horrible and to see God step in in that moment and so radically transform something and to see their life begin a new trajectory, um, to see the hope of their family as they get reunited. We've seen each of ours go to be um, one went back to parents and that has gone well. We've actually gotten a chance to interact with those parents. The other two went to relatives um, or the other two sibling groups went to relatives and we've got to follow up and hear about, I mean, they talked to us about their prayer life and their faith and the kid. And, and one of them, they were like, the kids would not let us not go to church. And so we go to church So we go to church now because our foster children, because it was now their kids, our foster kids told them, but we go to church. So you've got to go to church. And they had gotten out of the practice of doing it. So they were like, I guess we're going back to church. And it, and what, and God can use a foster child to like, 
just change the the trajectory that spiritual journey that a whole family is on and um that, that part's just amazing the other thing that i would that i would that i would say to every foster family is um don't be afraid to take on a kid from a different culture or background um now it's not easy um if there was one skill listen i thought i thought I was 43 when we took our last placement. I had a, a placement. I had a birthday a few months ago, and when we at 43, I thought I knew everything that I needed to know about hair in my life. At 44, I realized I knew nothing about hair, and I had two beautiful little African American girls in my home, and I had to learn so much about hair. And what was what made it worse is they would only let me do it for the first several months. They would not let my wife touch their hair or anybody else. They just wanted me to do their hair. Um, and I had to go meet with friends um, that could help guide me. I had to take them to, um, you know, to, to like beauty shops and stuff like that that could help give me guidance. I had to go stand in you know, hair care aisles of the grocery store I had never stepped in before um, and had some of the most amazing conversations with people in those aisles because of it. Um, and so it wasn't always easy, but it was that helped that changed our family. Like we got to view somebody else from a different culture and see the world. I would never say that we understood their experience fully, but we got a glimpse. We got a tiny peek into what that, and, and that opened up, that opened up thoughts for us that we'd never had that opened up. Um, it just embracing things that we'd never even, it never registered for us. It made us, see stories on the news in a different light like we just understood a, a, a teeny bit more some other people's experience and i think that that grew us we grew so much through that and so i would encourage people you know everybody's got to do what's what what they feel led to do but don't let don't let different scare you yeah definitely one of the things that i i really want to do is not let you leave our conversation with anything unsaid is there anything that i haven't asked or you haven't shared that you really feel would be important to be heard i think the only thing is is i i came up with a lot of reasons not before we did this before we started fostering i came up with a lot of reasons not to and i would just encourage people um to not do what i did um that if if you feel called into this god will help make a way for that um, God will partner you with the right people. Um, God will put people in your life um, that that can help. Like this is a this is not a calling for everybody, but I believe it's a calling for a lot more people than are willing to admit it. And I believe that the church, um, the church in Texas, like God, the church in America, the church in the world, that we need to we have to recognize. And you guys talk about this all the time. I mean. We have a biblical mandate to respond to this need. Um, this is what, what it looks like to extend mercy. This is what it looks like to see to the widows and the orphans. Like this, this wasn't a suggestion in scripture. Um, this is what God's called us to. And it's, and, and again, God may call different people to different things. And I understand that. But I think sometimes when we look at a call and it feels so big, we will simply make excuses to go do something else. And if God calls you to, to turn right and, and you go, 
well, God, I hear you. I'm not going to turn right, but here's what I'll do. I'll go be obedient to you in these other three areas. That's still disobedience. And, and, and I get the instinct because it's what I did. Like I, it is exactly what I did. God said, Jason, I need you to take a hard right. And I went, no, thanks, but I'll negotiate with you, which by the way, he's not super into negotiation. Um, I said, I'll negotiate. I'll go do these things full on hardcore all in and did. And, and God never, God was, I mean, God just kind of patiently waited and go, yeah, you're going to go the direction that I've asked you to go one way or another. Um, and so I would just encourage people. There's so many excuses to make, but in the end, I don't think that most of them are obstacles that should keep you from this. Yeah. That's powerful reminder. Uh, when God says do it, it's really what our next yes is our next yes to the Lord. That's awesome. Well, it's been an honor having you with me, Jason. Thank you. And appreciate all you guys at TBHC and what you guys do. Y'all are making a huge impact. Thank you. We love foster parents. They're the heartbeat of our ministry. God bless you, sir. Thanks, buddy. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe. To everyone listening, thanks for helping bring kids home. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.